the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, Conference USA edition. Week three in the books. Week four, ready to look ahead to that. Uh, looking ahead to what is happening with uh, the two divisional favorites. Uh, a lot to talk about there, as well as everything else that's going on in this league right now. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry with you. Eric, you were a little under the weather last week. How are you feeling now, bud? I am feeling much better. You know, I, I kind of gave you my conspiracy theory off the air. But I think the common cold slash flu is just uh, it, it's getting worse. The things that used to take me like a day or two to get over have taken like a week. So I don't know what it is in the air, but everybody, you know, wash your hands, keep your germs to yourself, and we'll be a better society for it. Hygiene. If there's one thing people listen to us for, it's hygiene tips. Uh, but yeah, it, it's weird. I think just as we get older, our ability to combat that stuff just goes down the drain, unfortunately, because I deal with a lot of the same issues when I get sick, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, but with that, we'll get back to, uh, football. The real reason that, uh, people listen to us, I guess, uh, we'll start it off with, uh, Texas taking down rice 48 to 13, pretty much what we expected there. Decent day for Austin Trammell, who caught uh, six balls for 97 yards um, at the quarterback spot. Senior Tom Stewart was the one in the wake of the Wiley Green injury. And uh, as you might expect, all of Rice's points came in the fourth quarter against Texas's backups. So, uh, you know, with games like this, hard to tell if Rice is really on the uh, the right path or not, especially when that roster is uh, as depleted as it has become. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of the reality of the situation with the Owls right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much more to add on that game because it's what we expected, you know, playing against a really tough Texas ball club that has, you know, national championship aspirations. I, I think when you're Rice, and if you're a Rice fan, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but you really just have to kind of look for the same things that you mentioned or I mentioned for the past few weeks, which is just uh, what type of progress are we making as a program? Are we becoming more competitive, things of that nature? This may seem kind of like a step back because I felt the team was pretty competitive in the Wake Forest game and in the Army game, but uh, you can't be too shocked by this result. No, not at all. Like I mentioned, pretty much what uh, we expected and what I would assume the majority of football fans expected in that game. Um, kind of a mixed bag in this next one with FAU beating Ball State 41-31. to A slow start for the Owls, who uh, trailed 14-7 to after the first quarter. After that, though, uh, Chris Robinson and John Mitchell in particular looked just stellar, hooking up eight times for 124 yards and three touchdowns. So FAU fans can breathe a, a small sigh of relief now as their team is now in the win column. Uh, what were your kind of takeaways from FAU's performance in this one, Eric? Two major takeaways. One, I was watching this game pretty closely because I wanted to see, you know, FAU, you can't really judge them off of their first two games because they played two top 15 opponents in UCF and Ohio State. So I just want to see how they bounce back from that. My second takeaway, and I want to bounce this one off of you, is a guy who we spent most of the offseason talking about, and that's Chris Robinson. Uh, it looks like he may have turned the corner, you know, 366 passing yards, four touchdowns, zero picks, no turnovers, and the fact that he's able to stand back there and just lead his, his team to victory. But not even just that ball game, but the first two in that, you know, going against two really tough opponents, he only had one turnover. So just really quick, Joe, I mean, he's a guy we talk about a ton in the offseason. Uh, do you feel a little bit more confident about him, you know, maybe putting his uh, his 
I don't want to say transgressions because he, you know, he, he wasn't charged with anything over the offseason, but just putting his, his immaturities behind him and then moving forward as a quarterback. Yeah, you know, I think with him, the on-field talent and ability was never really too big of an issue for me. Uh, obviously, some off-the-field stuff that he's had to deal with over the course of his time uh, with Lane Kiffin and that team. But, um, yeah, clearly he's playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, whether that be uh, just from people doubting his team, doubting him as a quarterback, or uh, or what have you. And clearly he's got some natural chemistry with with John Mitchell as well. So carry over into their CUSA campaign if uh, if you're an FAU fan here. Yeah, I'll definitely agree there. You know, I, I was just really impressed by the victory and impressed by Robinson. So those are my major takeaways. Fair enough, then. We'll uh, head back to the state of Texas then for this next one, where Army uh, pretty much obliterated UTSA 31-13. to uh, Three turnovers for the Roadrunners, even though they did force two themselves, so something to hang their hat on for that defense, I guess. Uh, overall, just the offense looked futile, I guess, is the best word to describe that. At one point, they had a seven-play drive for 13 yards. So obviously not an ideal result for Frank Wilson and his ball club. Yeah, I think they're in the same boat as Rice, not necessarily in terms of uh, on the field in the win column. I would think that UTSA should have more wins than Rice, but if you're a you know a Roadrunner fan, you just don't want to see an offense that resembled whatever that anemic mess was last year. So in my mind, throughout this entire season, you know you're gonna have three names in mind who, uh, if you're a UTSA fan or a follower of the program, we're really going to make or break the difference as far as going forward. One would be Frank Harris, two would be Frank Wilson, and the third would be uh, new AD Lisa Campos. Uh, she, I've mentioned before, didn't hire Frank Wilson. So I'm sure she'll be keeping a close eye out as to the progress or lack thereof of this program going forward, and maybe she might want to bring her own guys into the season. Not trying to you know move too far ahead, but I only mention that because you just can't have more games like this where the offense just looks anemic like it did last year. I mean, we all can agree that that is just, it's not going to get the job done. No, not at all. And that definitely does seem to be the pattern with, uh, with just college football programs in general, when there's a new AD and you're the coach and you have a, a spotty, you know, resume to begin with, and uh, you're not delivering right away. That's uh, not exactly setting yourself up for a long tenure at your current job. And uh, so Frank Wilson still got a pretty big uh, uphill battle if he wants to remain the head coach of the Roadrunners as far as I'm concerned. Um, with that, then we'll talk about Louisville and uh, Western Kentucky. Cardinals win that one 38-21. Uh, first off, after this game, we find out that Stephen Duncan is going to miss some time with a, a foot injury. I believe there was a, a crack in the bone there. Um, not sure how long that takes to heal, but uh, significantly affects the Hilltoppers moving forward, I would assume. Uh, but before that happened, he looked pretty good in this game with uh, three passing touchdowns and 245 yards through the air. Frankly, he kind of got let down by his receivers in some aspects here. Uh, Lucky Jackson in particular had a pretty rough game with a lost fumble and a drop touchdown uh, towards the end. Frankly, though, they looked like two different teams in the first and second half. So in the second half, they were just playing much more aggressively, and uh, they probably need to do a little bit more of that going forward. Uh, you know, there's been signs in the in this uh, first stretch of three games here that that's really kind of Tyson Helton's style, and um, it really hasn't hurt them yet. I believe they've they've done two 
uh, onside kicks in the first three games and got them both. Um, so clearly that's probably one of his strengths. Maybe they just need to start doing that before they find themselves in these big holes here like they did at the start of the second half. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I loved how aggressive he was, Tyson Helton being he, uh, when they came to FIU and right off the opening score, they went onside kick. Uh, I love that, especially, you know, for a young team like West Kentucky who's trying to get their confidence back, trying to, you know, go out and win games. Like, don't just play, you know, conservative play traditionally. Like, go play to win. So I love it. And then as far as your point, Stephen Duncan goes, that's another thing. You know, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I wasn't exactly on the Stephen Duncan train. I was more along the uh, the Davis Shanley line of thinking as far as a quarterback. But he looked like he being Duncan looked like he may have almost turned the corner. Had a nice game at FIU, like you mentioned. Had a nice start uh, or a nice ball game before the injury uh, against Louisville. So it's kind of a shame to see him go down for you know what may be an extended period of time. But if you're a Tops fan, you got to spin it forward. Is it Ty Story? Is it Davis Shanley? Uh, you have to keep an eye on on that going forward. Right. And as we record this, uh, no word yet on who the uh, starting quarterback is going to be uh, for the tops moving forward here. They uh, luckily for them, I believe they have a bye week this week to kind of get it figured out. Uh, so probably won't hear anything uh, about that until probably when, around the time we record the next episode. So stay tuned for news on that, I guess. Um, with that, then we'll move on to another P5 versus G5 game in uh, Cal in North Texas. The Golden Bears surprising some people and winning that game 23-17. to uh, Mean Green unable to complete the comeback there after giving up 20 points to start the game. Eric, in your opinion, how concerned should North Texas be right now after starting the season 1-2? and two? And it's not that the offense is playing badly they're just not playing consistently as far as i'm noticing things to answer your question i don't necessarily know if it to be you know an 11 scale of one to ten i wouldn't put it at a 10 but i do think there has to be some level of concern and i talked about it in my three things we learned about conference usa during last week article that i just felt coming into the year that this would be the year that north texas put everything together right you know, we've made much to do about their lack of bowl success or their lack of ability to kind of be able to turn the corner and win CUSA West. And I just felt that this would be the year that they'd be able to do that. And, uh, you know, let's give credit to Cal. I, I certainly didn't expect this from Cal. I didn't expect him to be to Washington last week. And uh, I had picked Cal before the season to lose to UNT, so give them all the credit. But I think it's something you have to – once again, it's not a level 10, but – you, you, if you're a, a mean green fan, you have to be concerned because it, is this going to be a team that, you know, wins USA West or are they going to win eight games? You know, and there's nothing wrong with a seven, eight win season, but it's just not realizing and actualizing your expectations uh, in relation to your talent level heading into the season. Yeah, I would agree with that. It seems like, you know, expectations for North Texas were already extremely high as the season started and it's looking like they're not quite at the level they would need to be to meet those expectations however conference play obviously hasn't started yet so moving into that section of the season still have plenty of time to get uh you know where they need to be in order to take the division and then the conference after that so obviously monitoring the progress in denton there uh with that we'll look at la tech and Bowling Green, 35-7, the final there for the Bulldogs. Uh, not a bad day for the Bulldogs, obviously. Two touchdowns each for Jamar Smith and Jack West Dancy. 
Uh, Amik Robertson also first pick of the year for him, which he took to the house. Not a great second half for Tech, but uh, certainly had some room for error against a very bad Bowling Green team up there in Ohio. Yeah, not too much to say on this one. You know, major takeaway for me, and this is something I've talked about in, in previewing FIU's game coming up this week with uh, Louisiana Tech, is that just happy to see the consistency for Jamar Smith. He's a guy you always knew had the talent, but his, you know, completion percentage always, you know, kind of hung around that 52, 53, 54% range. While it's only a three-game sample, it's completing over 68% of his passes. So good to see that consistency. And, and you know, anyone who follows G5 football knows that Bowling Green's really rebuilding post the Mike Jinks era there. So uh, good to see Tech go in there, get the job done, and get the victory. Go from one uh, fairly lopsided result to another here in Charlotte and UMass. 49ers win that one 52 to 17. And uh, that team was just rolling on all cylinders in this one. Uh, UMass simply had zero answers for Charlotte's offense, who racked up over 500 total yards. Uh, Chris Reynolds looked comfortable throwing the ball. Benny LeMay ran the ball very well. Uh, Charlotte almost had uh, 200 yard rushers in this game, as a matter of fact. So, uh, got to be happy about that if you're 49ers, but also got to take into account uh, at some point that UMass also in a very uh, rough spot as a program right now. That's true. You know, (laughs) there's two ways to look at it. I'm I'm giggling because there's two ways to look at it, right? Yes, UMass is clearly struggling. But if you're Charlotte, you have to build that winning culture, right? Go out there and win the games that you're supposed to win. Uh, I know I've slowly but surely kind of brought you around on the Charlotte 49er Will Healy bandwagon and that, you know, it's it just going to take things like this, you know, win the games you're supposed to win and uh, great performance by Reynolds and Benny LeMay. And when you do what you're supposed to do, you know, Club Lit is open after the game. Uh, and if you check on Twitter, Club Lit is one, is one of my favorite Twitter follows to watch. I, I love seeing the uh, – post-game locker room there at Jerry Richardson Stadium, just how, you know, happy those guys are post-game and, and the energy that Will Hill is bringing to the program. So all in all, you know, sure, they, they beat a UMass team that's really struggling, but I, I'm glad to see they went out and did it decisively and they can, you know, party all night afterwards. <laughs> Club lit. I will need to check that out. Um, but, yes, that is a good point in that uh, Charlotte winning this one decisively kind of speaks to their progress as a program because – it really wasn't that long ago that uh, you know they were playing these games and either against these you know against programs that are not in good spots and uh, either barely winning or losing. So uh, obviously good to see that uh, the Will Healy effect already uh, happening for the 49ers there. Um, I'll uh, for this next one I'll fully admit that um, I I misjudged Southern Miss. They uh, beat Troy 47 to 42 here. Jack Abraham and Kez Watkins, man, uh, talk about some chemistry. Uh, the two hooked up for 209 yards and two touchdowns on seven catches. Uh, just a good old-fashioned shootout, too, as uh, Southern Miss you know, surprised some people, myself included, with a really quality offensive performance here. Joe, I've been saying it throughout the offseason. I've said it early on, you know, through the uh, early parts of the season. Quez Watkins is the difference maker for Southern Miss. You know, it wasn't that the offense wasn't performing well without him. You know, Jalen Adams was a guy who really stepped up and is a dynamic player, uh, was the number one receiver in Mr. Watkins' absence. But when you see Quez out there, he's just, he's really neck for neck in terms of top receiver in Conference USA right there with a guy like Adrian Hardy. And you see what he does when he, you know, gets back on the football field. So let's hope that 
his academic issues are behind him and we can get a chance to see, you know, just a really excellent player throughout the rest of the year. Only concern for Southern Miss is that they gave up 504 yards passing. And, yeah, you know, Troy's a decent program. They're a solid program. But uh, the reason I say it's concerning is because Southern Miss coming into the year was expected to have a really talented defense, guys like Kyle Hemby, you know, uh, Ty Williams, et cetera. So you just kind of want that talent, you know, Rasheem Booth, et cetera. You want that talent to perform up to uh, expectation. So that's a little concerning. But my biggest takeaway is Quez Watkins is back, and uh, Southern Miss got to look out for them because of that. It's a fair point. Something tells me uh, if, you know, Kez Watkins can stay on the field, then uh, this team's going to be in uh, several more shootouts of this nature as the season goes on. Uh, then we'll take a, a trip up north to West Virginia where uh, Marshall beat uh, their rival Ohio 33-31. to uh, Big win for them who uh, took the lead with about eight minutes left. Isaiah Green coming through with a 43-yard touchdown pass to Xavier Gaines. And uh, if you're going to bounce back from a poor performance like Marshall had in Boise, it might as well be in a game like this because, uh, you know, while it's it's a non-conference game, obviously, uh, beating another uh, semi-local program like Ohio, uh, great for them. And uh, good to see Isaiah Green and uh, Brandon Knox both um, really shine on offense there. Two things for this one. One, you know, really glad that Marshall can get the victory, especially they're still playing without, you know, arguably their number one receiver in Obi Obialo, who's still out with a foot injury. Brendan Knox, you know, showing he can tilt the load with the uh, now dismissal of Tyler King. But the second thing, and I know you're from around those parts, I had no idea that Ohio and Marshall was a rivalry until I saw that the, uh, they got the bell post game. And the funny thing is, you know, this is why we can't have good things at Conference USA. They broke the trophy in the locker room. So I found that to be pretty funny, but uh, you know, all in all great win for Doc Holiday's club. Yeah. Yeah. You got to respect the hardware a little bit, but uh, yeah, you would be surprised out there in Athens uh, where Ohio university is. It's, it's extremely close to the West Virginia border. So geographically that, that rivalry makes a little bit of sense, even if it doesn't, uh, you know, get talked about in the same way that a lot of the other rivalries, uh, even in this league do frankly, but uh, really entertaining game. Hope to see some more of those throughout the year. And uh, with that, then we'll talk about uh, Duke beating MTSU 41 to 18. Asher O'Hara uh, didn't have much help on the offensive side of the ball while he had a, another solid day himself, though. Uh, MTSU defense just simply could not contain Duke's dual threat QB in Quentin Harris, who threw for four touchdowns and also ran for 111 yards on the day. So, you know, obviously the, this Quentin Harris kid going to turn some heads in ACC play this year. Um, and you just got to have a better day against him uh, if you want to have any kind of chance to win. Uh, but obviously you can't hang your head too much. Um, but got to be disappointing to see uh, see them go down in that fashion at home against a P5 opponent. You know, Joe, I think I'm guilty of, you know, kind of, of uh, 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 an informal bias against Duke in the sense that you get so caught up, you know, if you're in your late 20s like me, you know, you remember Duke being an, a, a doormat and also ran in the old ACC. And when you pick a game like this, you look at Duke and, you know, you think, all right, Middle Tennessee State should be able to hang with them, if not potentially beat them. And then you realize that David Cluckless has done a really great job with the Blue Devil program. So I just want to get that on the record because I looked at the score and I was like, you know, really a 23-point loss at Duke, which you got to remember, it's not the same old Duke from yesteryear. 
Um, as far as Asher O'Hara goes, yeah, you know, really was kind of let down. He had a solid game as a passer, and uh, it's probably something that I'm going to continue to rave about throughout the season just because I, I saw where he was as a passer last year. And to see his development, you know, kind of have more confidence in himself and his abilities is great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, I don't want to, I don't want to come down on Middle Tennessee State too much because once again, you know, they're playing a, a solid P5 program in Duke that has a perennial, you know, seven, eight win team every single year. Yeah, that's a uh, solid point about Duke's progression as a program. So, uh, did certainly hope to see a little bit more fight of NTSU though, but uh, a lot more for them to play, like you mentioned. Um, with that, then we'll talk about uh, a w- one that you kind of followed pretty closely with FIU 30, uh, New Hampshire 17, the final there. Huge day for uh, Kalen Wiggins, who th- uh, threw for 127 yards and uh, for ran for 187 yards with two touchdowns on the ground. So some much-needed confidence for the Panthers and that young quarterback there. So, Eric, what were your kind of takeaways from uh, from this much-needed win for that Panther program? And uh, what's the latest on James Morgan? Do we know when he's coming back? Sure, yeah. So this is typically where I say, you know, I saw this one live from the cage. However, I decided to make the trip up to Orlando to uh, catch UCF Stanford in person. So I didn't see this one live. However, my biggest takeaway is just that, you know, it's what we've kind of known for those who are around the program day in and day out is that Kalen Wiggins, you know, he's a dynamic athlete and he really trusts his legs more than he does his arms at this point. But against a competition like New Hampshire, you see we can do almost 200 yards on the ground as a, as a rusher. It's the most, uh, uh, the, I believe he finished with 187. That's the most by an FIU quarterback in the history of the program and fifth most in, in by any player history of the program so just good that they could get the win because if they weren't able to beat a new hampshire team then you know the fiu comes this season would have truly been smoke and mirrors and they've had a whole other set of issues on to your second point about james morgan uh, is i don't know an acceptable answer um the reason i say that is because we've really been getting conflicting information and of course you know that's part of that's by design with college football coaches uh we thought that James would be good to go against New Hampshire. Now, it wasn't until about two and a half hours before game time when I, I uh, got information that Kalen would start. And that didn't shock me because, once again, uh, Bush Davis has made a huge you know, point about getting his back and quarterback reps. And if you can't beat New Hampshire, then you know you got bigger problems. But it'll be something worth watching throughout the week to see if James uh, – if he's going to be able to return at all. I mean, there have been things talked about. Even Skip Holtz talked about it uh, in, in his uh, media availability that, you know, they've been hearing that Morgan will be ready to go, and then they've been hearing that he's having surgery and be done for the year. So uh, it's really kind of a wait-and-see thing. Uh, we'll have to find out closer to game time on Friday night whether he'll be available at Lot Tech. I didn't realize it was that severe and that we're getting, you know, that different of reports and that one minute he's, he's ready to go and the next minute he may need season ending surgery. That's really something that's out there right now. Yeah. I don't want to alarm, you know, any FIU fans making a statement, but like I said, uh, I just finished up uh, taping with the uh, La Tech report down there on 97.7 in Ruston. And that was what Skip Holtz was getting during his media availability that, you know, it's a situation where you get conflicting reports. You know, he might be ready to go or you might be having surgery and, and be out for an extended period of time. So uh, it's really going to be a wait and see type thing. I will hope to kind of get, you know, my eyes on James personally in practice come Thursday and see what the situation is. But uh, we honestly won't know. Or actually, excuse me, Wednesday. Thursday will be a travel day. 
uh, but we won't really know until uh, game time or PRS before on Friday. All right. Something to keep an eye on there. Moving forward for the Panthers could be uh, monumental as far as their uh, success this season is concerned. Um, actually, kind of a perfect transition then. Let's start talking about next week with the Panthers heading to Ruston to face Louisiana Tech at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Tech the favorite by eight and a half there. You can catch that one on CBS Sports Network. Uh, you know, if we had talked about this game a few months ago, Panthers would have been a no-brainer pick for me here. However, um, you know, given the the injury to Morgan and kind of the struggles that they've had the last few weeks, uh, regardless of, you know, Kalen Wiggins uh, racking up a bunch of yards against an FCS team, um, I got to go with my gut now and say Tech. I think they're just – they're definitely still kind of figuring some things out. Um, particularly on offense, but uh, I, I think this is a, a defense that FIU really can't afford very many mistakes against. And, um, you know, they're certainly not playing mistake-free football right now. So I think uh, the Texters are the safe pick in this one. No, I'm inclined to agree with you. Coming into the year, this is a game that I had FIU losing. I thought they would lose this game in their ball game against the University of Miami. Now, obviously, they've taken two more losses. In addition to that, uh, I, I think it's really going to come down to, and I don't want to say it's going to come down to whether James Morgan can play or not, but Kalen Wiggins would be his first start on the road going against a Tech defense. And you talk about a guy like Amik Robertson, who is arguably the best defensive player in Conference USA. That's just not a recipe for you know, a winning recipe for a young quarterback. If FIU is going to have a shot, it's really going to come down to their secondary forcing some turnovers and giving Kalen Wiggins the opportunity to make plays with his legs. And can the FIU run defense contain Jaquist Stancian and Israel Tucker? All things considered, I think Tech wins maybe a one-score game, but I do have Tech winning this one. Might uh, might be worth catching that one on uh, Friday Night Lights, there, so to speak. Uh, moving into Saturday, uh, moving into Saturday, then <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> Southern Miss and uh, the number two Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa at uh, noon Eastern on ESPN two. Alabama favored by a lot and with good reason uh, looking like they're going to contend for another national championship this year. And while I said earlier in the show, definitely been impressed with Southern Miss's progress amidst the return of Kez Watkins. Don't see them pulling off the, uh, you know, world stunning upset here against uh, the number two team in the country. Yeah, of course. I mean, neither do I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and try to be that CUSA cheerleader here. Yes, this is a money game. You know, Alabama should roll over them, but I I just want to see Southern Miss at least look competitive. Maybe the final score isn't, you know, a uh, a, a one-score game or a two-score game, but I at least would like to see Southern Miss look competitive in certain aspects of the game because that then would give me confidence that they're ready to contend in USA West. But all in all, of course, afraid I hate to say it, but I'm going to roll tide. The safe pick again on that one. And uh, with that, we'll move into uh, another part of of, uh, the state of Alabama there in Birmingham with UAB hosting South Alabama, the USA Jaguars, as they're called. Uh, 3.30 Eastern is the time on that one. Catch that one on the NFL Network. Uh, I'm picking the Blazers. I feel uh, good about what I've seen so far out of them this year. While it certainly hasn't been uh, perfect football, um, feel like they're they're definitely playing high energy, high effort football, so to speak. Uh, so hopefully we'll kind of see them 
break out a little bit, become more of the team that we uh, we saw last year. Um, but frankly, this is a South Alabama team that's one and two. Uh, losses to Nebraska and Memphis. Uh, their one win came against Jackson State, who's uh, you know not exactly a perennial power in the FCS. So nothing to be too concerned about with them if you're a Blazer fan. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as what you'd be looking for if you're a Blazer fan. Uh, I'll go ahead and piggyback off of that. Just want to see Spencer Brown not have to fight for his yardage. You know, I think Spencer might be averaging under four yards to carry, which kind of continues in the trend of last year where uh, his amazing freshman year, he averaged 5.6. And last year, he averaged uh, a little over 4.3 yards for a carry. So just want to see him get established, want to see that offense get established and put away a team that they should pretty, pretty early and definitively in South Alabama. Yeah, I think we're agreed on that one. Uh, agreed through all of these so far, and uh, we'll probably be agreed on this next one as well, I would think. FAU hosting FCS foe Wagner, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Um, yeah, based on what we've kind of seen out of FAU last week, it seems like the offense is really starting to click. Uh, you know, this has happened before with Lane Kiffin's teams that uh, look a little rough in the first couple of weeks against some good competition uh, and then just find their way to turn the corner. Uh, that might have happened last week. Uh, Chris Robinson certainly looking good, uh, develop, developing some good chemistry with his receiver core. And, uh, you know, got to think they'll, they'll maintain that momentum this week at home against an FCS team. Yeah, a little bit of CUSA flavor for Wagner, and that former FIU quarterback Christian Alexander is actually starting for them now. Uh, I do not know what Wagner's mascot is, so I would have inserted it there, but a blank, so let's go to the Owls. Um, Chris Robinson, what you want to see from them, uh, from him, is just continue that steady play. Larry McCammon, uh, I, I think he may have gotten a little bit banged up after last week's performance, so I want to see A, if he's available, and B, if he is. Just to see how uh, ready he is to kind of carry the load as far as the FAU rushing offense. Once again, he's a guy out of Hooper High School. Used to get a lot of carries, you know, down there in Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, those parts of the United States. Running backs are used to getting 250 carries a year at that level. So it's not like he uh, isn't durable. Just want to see how he holds up. And then the defense, Rashad Smith, I believe was CUSA's defensive player of the week. Uh, Just want to see him do a repeat performance. He's such a talented guy on defense, and they'll put away Wagner pretty quickly. For uh, for those wondering, Wagner Seahawks is the mascot playing at uh, playing out of Staten Island, New York. Uh, wasn't aware they were in Staten Island. Didn't know Staten Island had a college. That's pretty interesting. Um, with that, then we'll move on to uh, the next game on the docket. Number twenty one, Virginia hosting Old Dominion, uh, seven p.m. Eastern, ESPN two in Charlottesville. Um, you know, Bryce Perkins has looked really solid for Virginia. I think he'll have a pretty, uh, pretty big field day against this old dominion defense who, uh, had a bye week last week, I believe, uh, obviously had a, had a tough day against Virginia tech before that. And an unimpressive win against Norfolk state in week one. Um, you know, I think, uh, we've talked about how old dominion is going to have kind of a tough year this year before. And I think that's going to continue, uh, in this game against, uh, the in-state opponent, unfortunately. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Monarchs and Bobby Wilder's club, what you're really looking for, once again, is just the quarterback situation. You know, Stone Smart, Messiah DeWeaver, uh, that's a situation that Bobby Wilder said would progress into the season. So we still are, you know, a few games into the year, and we don't just have a definitive answer there. 
taking on a very solid UVA team who, you know, their fans rushed the field against a perennial power of Florida State, although not quite perennial this year. Uh, hopefully they don't get too overjoyed with a win and rush the field against Old Dominion, but I, <laughs> a safe bet that they'll uh, get the victory. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty easy money to be made uh, this week in Conference USA from what it uh, seems like. Uh, that kind of applies to this next game as well with uh, Rice hosting Baylor on CBS Sports Network at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Bears favored by 26 points. I'd say that's fair. Um, we talked about a couple of weeks ago when they played UTSA that this is almost kind of looking like the Baylor offenses of old. Um, and you got to think that's going to continue this week against uh, against a Rice team that's you know still struggling to kind of you know put one foot in front of the other, so to speak. No, I, I think that's a great way to sum up this Rice program is that you know it, it's baby steps, but they're having aren't exactly taking full steps forward. Just for them, you know, I, to be quite blunt, I just want to see them come out unscathed without any injuries. And you know, maybe a, a guy like Blaze Aldridge, you, you know, you want to see how your stars perform. Guys like he, uh, Prudy Calderon, George Nyquil, et cetera. But uh, just not enough firepower for Rice yet to take on a team like Baylor. Nope, not yet. And uh, with that, we'll talk about uh, another easy money win in theory. Uh, ACC Network, it's number one Clemson against uh, the Charlotte 49ers at 7.30 Eastern. Um, yeah, I mean, what is there to say? This is These are the uh, defending national champions uh, for a reason. Very good program, very good team. Um, yeah, probably going to uh, run all over the 49ers, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, not much more to add there. I guess the major thing is going to just you want to see how the ball club comes out and fights. And uh, Will Healy made a point at Conference USA Media Days that they're really all about uh, establishing themselves in the Carolinas. So maybe, you know, if they can hang tough for a quarter, maybe they can impress, you know, some recruits up there in South Carolina. But uh, not much more to say outside of that. Uh, Clemson's going to roll here. Yep, that uh, definitely seems to be the case. And uh, then we'll kind of head back to the state of Texas for North Texas and UTSA in Denton, 7.30 Eastern on uh, Facebook Watch. Uh, Mean Green favored by 19 for good reason. I think they're going to come away with the win here as well. Um, You know, like we've mentioned, UTSA, just problems on problems for that offense and defense, really. Um, so this, if, if North Texas are going to have anything, uh, resembling a, a tune-up game, so to speak, before they get into the tough part of the COSA schedule, this is going to be it. All right. Yeah. So just for both teams, what you really want to see here is just take baby steps, uh, moving positive, uh, in, in the right direction for UT, for UNT, I believe it's Jalen Darden who suffered an injury against Cal. Love to see what his status is. Uh, as far as UTSA, once again, you know, you're not expecting them to go uh, into Apogee Stadium and get the victory, but you just want to see the offense look a little bit better, or really a lot better, and look competitive because you just can't have too many more uh, offensive performances where they, they look like they're just completely out of whack and out of sorts and then expect not to have that hot seat under Frank Wilson get uh, even hotter and hotter. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. So, you know, in, in a world where North Texas is just kind of looking to right the ship slightly, UTSA really needing a, a full course correction, so to speak, likely won't come this week, though. Um, and to round out the schedule, you have UTEP hosting Nevada at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, Wolfpack favored by 15 and a half here, according to Vegas. Uh, you got to think that's pretty fair. Uh, this is a Nevada team that uh, beat Purdue to open the season. Um, 
been kind of turned around and lost by almost by lost by 70 points to Oregon. So, uh, and then turned around and then, uh, beat, uh, Weber state FCS team by uh, six points. So it kind of a mixed bag out of this Wolfpack team so far, but, uh, you know, certainly reason to have significantly more confidence in them than UTEP right now. Yeah. Once again, you hit the nail on the head as far as, UTEP goes, uh, it's, it's a common theme throughout this entire podcast. It's about can you take steps forward? We all know their situation, you know, Kyle Lockley, Brandon Jones, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's just, and I'm looking at, I hate to sound just like I'm being negative here, but you just don't want to, the team to get demoralized and, and get blown out because this is a program as players, you know, how many more times can you take being blown out before you just, you know, your three, four games into the year and all of a sudden you feel hopeless? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm sure that's how a lot of these players feel right now, given uh, given the state of uh, of the program and uh, the fact that they uh, barely beat Houston Baptist to start the year and then uh, just kind of got it handed to them against Texas Tech the following week. Um, and with that, we'll start to wrap up the show then. Thank you all so much for listening once again. Uh, go ahead and follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter if you haven't already. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, you can check us out on Spotify as well. Uh, leave us a review if you have the time. That really helps us grow and always appreciate the feedback to keep making the show better and better. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore if you want. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, definitely recommend following him for insights into FIU, college football world as a whole. And, uh, of course, James Morgan updates. Really critical time for that program as they kind of figure out what's going on with their starting quarterback. Um, with that, we'll say happy football watching, everybody, and have a great rest of your week. Yeah.